Welcome to the Jacked Theology Podcast. Uh, I am Dr. Matt Murphy, joined by Dr. Kevin Young, and we're looking forward to discussing lots to discuss this week. Not, nothing really big in the news to really digest, although there's always something in the news we could digest, but a lot of uh, stuff going on on Twitter recently that we wanted to address about the sufficiency of scripture, the plain reading, the clear reading, uh, whatever you have in there. And there, there's a lot to, to digest. But I first want to give it some context. And I think why it's become so prevalent and why a lot of the Theobros or more fundamentalist conservative uh, theologians are, are throw, or pastors are throwing that out there is, is there's a fear of this, of what kind of a deconstruction movement. It's become like a buzzword of deconstruction and and obviously with any buzzword, there's a lot of different definitions out there. But essentially, deconstruction is taking what you believe um, philosophically, taking, in our case, the Bible or theology and kind of breaking it all down to its bare minimum and, and finding out why we believe those things. Um, most uh, folks in the deconstruction process want to know why uh, they're being taught that and kind of go down to the bare minimum. And so the fear is, is that you know, they would say, if I'm being charitable, that people are going to lose their faith when they deconstruct. Um, and so uh, I think, so they're putting out there, just trust scripture. Scripture's sufficient. The plain reading's sufficient. It is what it is. Um, and so there's a lot of this going around. So yeah, I feel like the question why is, is the, the fear, you know, there's this whole, um, there, there's this whole, I think, fear that if, somebody asks a, a question, the whole house of cards is going to fall. So it's like, just, just take what I say. Scripture is sufficient for, for any question and shut up. Yeah. Um, and there's a lack of trust in the whole, in the Holy spirit. I come from a quasi Pentecostal, not classic Pentecostal background, but um, the denomination I grew up in and then uh, did most have done most of my ministry career in, um, has a strong belief in the Holy Spirit, strong belief in sanctification. And, and as, I've, I, as I've heard deconstruction and different people going de through deconstruction, I just kind of, I see it as like a, a sanctification process of, a, of, the, of an undoing by the Holy Spirit. And so there seems to be a lack of trust that the Holy Spirit can, can work in the midst of someone who's deconstructing. Um, and it was interesting that yesterday I was in a dialogue with someone on the Twitterverse, and it seemed clear to me that they don't believe in the Holy Spirit um, because they kept going back. Well, the Holy Spirit only speaks through the Word of God, um, and so have you even read the Bible? Yeah, and it's it's it, it there's there's a lot to unpack there with that, but essentially, their God, and I want to get to your tweet, their God is the Bible. That's it. I mean, um, I tweeted last week, uh, the Holy Trinity for these guys is, uh, I forget how I put it, but is scripture, uh, the Bible and God's word. That's the Holy Trinity. Um, and so where's Jesus in the midst of this? Where's the Holy Spirit? And so you had a tweet, I think yesterday evening, I woke up and saw it. Um, and we had been dialoguing about this via text, but the, you said those who cherry pick biblical texts to proof text their doctrine rarely cherry pick from the lips of Jesus. 
Um, there it is. And it's so true. Um, I, I made an observation um, that none of these guys ever talk about Jesus when they're making their statements. They never, they never talk about, let's look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's, let's look to how Jesus taught us to live uh, here on earth. Let's look to how Jesus taught about salvation. It's, it's always what the Bible says uh, we need. It's sufficient. And of course, what they mean is my interpretation, my interpretation, my, my opinion on what the Bible says is, is sufficient. Yeah. Well, and you know, uh, most of the things I think that get railed on theologically these days, especially by the more um, theologically conservative among us, are things that Jesus either barely mentioned or referenced or didn't mention or reference at all. And so there's like this huge disparity between what Jesus focused on and what so many people in the dumpster fire that is Twitter and current, you know, practical theology discussions uh, focus on. And it's cherry picking texts and avoiding Jesus, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a theory out there amongst these guys that, um, that if you, if you focus too much on Jesus, then it's going to lead to progressivism. It's going to lead you away from the scriptures. It's going to lead to actually living out your faith. Yeah. It's going to, it's, it's going to require you to actually put shoe leather to your faith. You know, you know, I I've read and seen out there just this idea that those of us who focus solely on like put Jesus at the center of everything, uh, you know, we're being led astray by that. Um, which is fascinating to see. Um, isn't he the whole point of scripture? Isn't that the whole, it's the story of how we are redeemed as and reconciled to God through Jesus. Um, shouldn't Jesus be at, at the center of all of that? Um, I don't get it. I haven't got a straight response from people. I, I continually ask the question. Uh, they seem to not want to answer me. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there is a danger in them being transparent about what they mean by the sufficiency of scripture. It's not what the reformers meant by the sufficiency of scripture. What the reformers meant by the sufficiency of scripture was scripture itself is sufficient for somebody on their own, being able to come into a relationship with God, being able to come to salvation. It, the reformers did not mean when they said sufficiency of scripture, that scripture was sufficient to answer everything with certainty that could be asked uh, on the entire spectrum of theology and life. That's that's bringing this whole burden to this idea of sufficiency that is new, that, that was never intended by anyone who historically wrote about sufficiency of Scripture. It was simply about it being sufficient for salvation. Yeah, um, I, I see that out there. I, I agree with that. I think it does it is sufficient for the salvation story of how we were reconciled back to God. Um, but I, I think if we're being honest, that's where they want to stop. Um, they don't see the scriptures as a guidebook for how to live. He, they don't see the scriptures for Jesus starting a, a new kingdom, uh, you know, a revolution. And then what it leads to is this. I, I saw this tweet. I don't know if you saw this one. Um, 
Costi W. Hen um, says, Genesis 1 to 11 isn't poetry, allegory, or mythology. It's reliable history. Jesus, Paul, and Peter never treated Genesis this way. You should too. Um, It leads you to actually lie uh, when when you go down this rabbit hole um, that your view of scripture, this plain reading is the, the literal, the real reading. Like that's a bold faced lie. Like, like I, I, I don't even get it. Even at our conservative college, they taught us that, that the, the uh, Genesis one text was written in poetry, <laughs> like just to completely deny um, the facts of, of the text. It, it just, it just, it kind of blew my mind. Um, I've seen people like play word salami to try to get around the poetry angle of, of, of the text. Um, but never just deny that it's, it, it actually is poetry and allegory. And, um, and so that's what, what you tend to do. And so you start to lie and, and people believe those lies. And then um, it, it's, it's a, it's a deep rabbit hole. Yeah. I, um, I, what is it? Occam's razor, the, um, the concept that the simplest explanation is probably the, the best explanation for, for something. Um, and historically Genesis one has been seen at least by the Jewish community as being poetry as, as being literature, not literal scientific, um, fact. I, I think, can we believe that it is literal science in Genesis one and not poetry? I, I guess. Yeah, sure. Sure. You can. Um, but I think you have to at least admit that that is not the historic understanding in Judaism and for much of Christian history either. Yeah. Could, could what they believe be true? Sure. Um, but can you get it from the actual Hebrew text? No, no, you can't. No, you're, you're bringing that to the text, which means you're saying scripture isn't sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that kind of brings to, is, is there a, a plain reading of the text? I, I hear this a lot. I see that, I guess, read this a lot in the Twitter, Twitter verse. Um, just trust the plain reading. Well, my plain reading is probably different than your plain reading uh, because we all have different presuppositions, different um, upbringings that we've, we've had um, that we bring to the text. And so I, I think our, our, our plain readings uh, might be misconstrued. And I think that's why the de- they're so fearful of the deconstruction because you're beginning to break down what you were taught as a kid. Cause there's this like, clear this is this is what you're supposed to believe uh through your childhood so then when you go to the text and you have those presuppositions you've been taught since you were a child um your plain reading is the same as your community's plain reading um but yet is that um the way to interpret it and then um and scripture is hard scripture is difficult because it was let's be honest it wasn't written for uh, 21st century American white evangelicals. Um, you know, it was written uh, in the Old Testament thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, I think that blows people mind minds that um, 
that maybe what Paul meant isn't what we mean uh, today, um, or even more what whoever wrote Genesis uh, doesn't mean what we mean today. Yeah, I feel like that's the the shadow side, the the alternate side of our theologies that have said, "Oh, God is so easily understandable. The gospel is so easily understandable. You know that that anybody can interact and read with Scripture." Uh, and understand it, which I understand what the intent behind that there is. But the flip side of that is is what you've said, is that there's this other theology that's on the other side of that that says everything that's in there is understandable and was written for us and can be seen and understood through our lens 2,000-plus years. I mean, some of these texts were written two, three, four, five thousand maybe years ago or so. And to think that it was written solely so that you and I could understand it in English in our modern context is, um, well, it's not just dumb. I, I think it's, uh, it's abusive, frankly, uh, to, to the text and to the intent. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, scripture is, is not supposed to be easy to, understand i mean jesus let's just look at jesus he he wasn't easy to understand he told he spoke in parable um the disciples were confused at times after jesus spoke and i think a, a good jewish teaching is to engage you in the text uh to make you wrestle with what's going on um there was no clear like uh, you know, you read the old Hebrew um, commentaries, there's arguments and discussions all through there. Like they didn't have one agreement on what, what this story meant and was supposed to be for. And I think you look at Jesus, you look at scripture and how the Hebrews looked at it. it, it it's, it's meant to be wrestled with and struggled through. And so when we say, well, you know, just my plain reading is so it's crystal clear. It's sufficient. Um, that's not historically how it's been done. Um yeah, I think it makes certainty an idol, frankly. Uh, it makes certainty an idol, and we find ourselves back in the place that Eve and Adam were in thinking that we can take a bite out of Scripture and know everything that there is to know about God and the world and good and evil. And we chase certainty uh, all the way back to the footsteps of Adam and Eve in the fall. Hmm. I, I like that. I, I hadn't thought through that. It's good. The, uh, it is. It's it's kind of the original sin that I want all the knowledge um, there is to have. And thinking we can have it, I, I think, um, places us in the position of God. You know, why is there this drive for certainty why is there this need for scripture to be sufficient and for me to know clearly right and wrong on on every topic and the bible speaks to every topic in this theology why is that there um knowledge is power and it places us in the position of being able to be god and able to determine not what is right and wrong so much as who is right and wrong. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, we see this a lot. Um, I was just kind of trying to look for one, um, but you 
know, if you don't believe my way, then you're not a Christian, right? Um, I, you know, I saw a tweet yesterday here. I'll, that's good enough. Um, uh, Grant Castleberry, my friend Grant, um, he says, <laughs> do not be deceived. Rome is a false church. The Pope, the Cardinals, the celibate priest, purgatory, Mary as co-redemptrix, the Eucharist as sacrifice of Christ, mortal sins, baptismal regeneration, salvation and, and by faith and works, indulgences, all contrary to the word of God. Um, it, you know, well, clearly this guy doesn't know anything about Catholic theology and sacramental theology. It's, um, in these tweets are constant of, well, if you don't believe what I believe, then you're, you're contrary to God's word. You're not saved. You're not a Christian, you know, run away from, from this teaching. Um, well, first of all, I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. And this is a Protestant distillation of what Catholics believe. Uh, it would be just as wrong probably of, of a Catholic to take the um, most outlandish doctrine in the Protestant church and distill it down to four or five sentences and say, you know, don't be deceived by this because this is what they believe. And it's a false church on the basis of that. It's not even, it, it's creating a straw man of, of the Catholic church in, in the first place, let alone um, what, what, what you said. Yeah, I, I I just don't see how you could look at scripture and think that there might be a different view on things that could be right. Um, I mean, indulgences. What, what, indulgences? Are, are we are we living in the fifteen hundreds? I know. Um, yeah, I mean, I practice sacramental theology, and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of scripture, a lot of things to back it up. And he, he's kind of wrong in a lot of these things. Um, I don't think they see Mary as a co-redemptrix. Um, they do see the Eucharist as, as Christ's sacrifice, but um, what's wrong with that? I mean, they have a lot of scriptural evidence to back their, their view up and you just ignore that. Um, well, I think it, it goes to uh, one of the classic, maybe, and primary arguments that, that Protestants make to the Catholic Church is is that uh, the, the philosophy that the the Catholic Church does not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. You know, they add things to Scripture, so there is uh, th there is a level of importance and influence given to church tradition. There is a level of importance and influence given to the things that um, saints or or popes or leaders have have said. And I know that um, that is abrasive to uh, our, our modern sensibilities in the Protestant church being so uh, being so strongly in favor of a paper pope rather than a physical pope. Uh, but the danger, obviously is, is on the other side of the road, you, you get these sufficiency of scripture theobros who say it's the word and only the word, but then take that word out of context. You can sometimes see why the Catholic church might just say, 
it's not just sufficient to answer every question with scripture. There has to be other lenses to use, whether or not that's an infallible Pope or church yeah. history or even the Holy spirit. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think, you know, as, as you said, as, as we began, you know, the, the argument for the sufficiency of scripture being the only lens through which we are able to interpret places, these Theo bros in the position of, of God and even requires the removal of the Holy spirit. Yeah. And it, is it not tradition? Um, these views, I mean, it isn't not, well, so-and-so back, you know, Jonathan Edwards said, I mean, there's still a lot of traditional values like put upon even this, this belief, uh, the sufficiency of scripture. Um, they have their own, their own saints, their own uh, gurus that they look to, which is Becker, yeah. Mark Driscoll, John Calvin. Yeah. So there's not much difference. And like you said, the paper Pope. And Keller used to be until he seemed to. Be too kind. Yeah. Keller, Keller, uh, Keller's seen the light. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just in to say like a Catholic isn't a Christian, um, and it's contrary to God's word. I think, like, clearly this guy's never met a Catholic and actually talked about theology and their true beliefs. Um, and so I'd encourage Grant to do so. Maybe go have a conversation. Um, and yeah, if I, if I do that though, Matt, if I actually have a conversation with someone who I believe that a sufficient Bible condemns, then I have to humanize them and consider the possibility that uh, I may have mischaracterized and misjudged them. And there aren't a lot of us these days who are willing to we're willing to place ourselves and our theologies in a place where um, I think, as you said, historically Judaism has done, and that is to be able to be um, questioned. Yeah. And so they believe they say this, then there's, um, then there's other tweets like this that they all kind of believe. Um, oh, Grant says, same guy says this, when a church departs from the clear commands of God's word, eventually it will cease to be a church. So what is it, Grant? Is it grace by, that you're saved or is it by works? <laughs> right? Like, so now if I'm not obedient and I don't do the works, I'm not, I'm no longer operating in God's church. Like, come on, Grant. Like, um, you're literally saying the same thing that the Catholic church would say, um, just contradictory. Well, and you know, I have a real problem with guys like Grant who make a category error by using the term, which he does here in his very last sentence, word of life, use the term God's word or word of God or word of life to mean the Bible. When I, when the Bible is explicitly clear that God's word is Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't want to minimize the importance of the Bible, but uh, I will most definitely minimize the importance of the Bible 
when it's placed head to head against Jesus Christ. And so, you know, this idea that churches that last always hold fast to the Bible rather than hold fast to Jesus, I don't see those things being um, at odds with each other, Jesus and the Bible, but I think that they do, which is why it's always about the Bible and never about Jesus. They're always quoting the black letters, not the red. Yeah, because how, you know, they turn into kind of pagans uh, when it comes to the difficult text. Like, what are you going to do with the difficult text? Um, well, the plain reading says, you know, because uh, this village was awful, then God just wiped them out off the face of the earth. Um, and so then they believe when. Hurricane Katrina comes and wipes out New Orleans that God did that because, you know, of Mardi Gras. And and so then it's like, whoa. Um, I And so when you look at that through the lens of Jesus, though, when you take Jesus and you look back through Scripture, it, it changes how you deal with the difficult passages. And, and it, it changes your hermeneutic. It changes how you see... Uh, an event like Hurricane Trina, Katrina wiping out a whole major city, um, and that 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 wears them out. They love the God's wrath. They love God killing people. Um, they love the violence of it. And so to to study Jesus, to look to Jesus, Jesus was nonviolent. Um, Jesus didn't have wrath. Jesus was loving and caring. He gave a lot of grace. And so they they don't like that. That's not manly. Yeah they avoid that at all costs. Um, yeah, I asked Grant to that tweet. He didn't respond to me, but what is the word of life? Um, and he doesn't want to answer that. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, they know. Um, they know, but they can't, they can't help themselves. Uh, the house of cards falls, the ability to control. I used to think that it was to control people, but I really think it's to control God. Mm. And and there's a side benefit in, in controlling, controlling people. Um, and if there's one thing that we learned from the Bible is that God will not be controlled. No. Um, yeah. God's, you know, not some genie in a bottle. If you believe the right thing, do the right thing, he's going to do what you want. Um, yeah, that's what these guys believe. Um, and, and it gives them permission to be jerks, flat-out jerks, right? If the Scriptures is only for our salvation uh, and the Holy Spirit only talks to us through what's written in the Word of God, um, then there's no, there's no motivation, there's no call, there's no mandate uh, to live in this world. Um, as well, there know. has to be, there has to be a war. You know, there, there has to be a, a villain. And um, I, I think, you know, it's a, this, this idea of a culture war, you know, is a, is a great metaphor or, analogy for for what happens in the church is there's this culture war within the church and it's all about um 
it's all about influence. You know, it's about fame. It's about having a voice. And if I am able to rile up the base to action, then I can control that and direct that in, in any way that I want. And so, you know, I, I think you're, you're right. There is, there is no kindness. There is no Christ likeness in this kind of mentality and, and philosophy of, of interaction. And it says a lot, I think about where the truth lies. Yeah. Uh, they use a lot of war language when they're talking, you know, stand guard, get your, get ready to fight. Um, we're in a battle. Yeah. Get, get, go to battle. And I, I think that's what they see themselves as is why, I, you know, they, they think they're battling us. Um, swords into plowshares guys. Yeah. Well, they're at war. So that they, they love it when we interact because they think they're, they're, they're getting us, you know? Um, but I mean, so many people follow them and, and uh, it's fascinating to see the um, how many people like look to that kind of theory of, of scripture, that, that philosophy of interpretation. So it's all that we've been taught uh, by and large, especially in the evangelical church. All that we have been taught is a philosophy of scripture where the Bible has all of the answers. And if I want to know how to live or if I want to know why somebody else should not live that way. The Bible is the answer to that. And so we come to the Bible with this need to weaponize it and it's, it's misuse, you know, bordering on, on abuse of, of, of scripture to utilize it in that way. It's not what it was intended to do, but we come to the Bible with the need for it to, give us clear answers on everything because if the Bible is not that because we've not been taught any other lens or, or hermeneutic to, to use the alternate to that is our faith fails and, and we walk away, which is why I think there's so much venom towards deconstruction is because it's it's not so much that there's a danger in people walking away from faith. I don't think they really care that people walk away from faith. I think what they care is that people walk away from their version of truth and towards a different version of truth because no or, or a different version or a different lens by which to see scripture because that's a danger to them that there would be an alternative way in which to see scripture and the Bible mm. because the house of cards will fall. And so they can't let any other, they can't let any other uh, hermeneutic be utilized. And uh, we've not given people any other hermeneutic or, or lens through which to see scripture. And so lots of people do feel like they're choosing between an ultra conservative reformed um, perspective or, or nothing. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the, the fear based, you know, message that it, well, if you don't believe this, then you're going to hell, you know, it's like, 
trying their hardest to put the fear of God in people so that they don't question, they don't search for answers. They don't engage, they don't go through the process of de deconstructing what they've been taught um, to, cre to create the, their own belief system um, from the word of God, from Jesus. I don't know why they fear. I mean, they fear that for all that you said, it's just, I have a hard time with it. It's just, it's just um, you know, this is the lack of trust. It shows, it reveals a, a lot, a lack of trust that God can't work in someone as they go, as they process through things. That's a good point, man. It's, it's a lack of trust in the sufficiency of God. A, a sufficiency of scripture is a lack of trust in the sufficiency of God mm. to work outside of scripture to accomplish his purposes. Yeah. Don't trust God. Trust me. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what to believe. It's very, yeah, very interesting. Um, and they don't stop, you know, um, we talked about yesterday when we were um, texting each other, just this idea of like, so no one wants to be the villain, right? Um, Grant and others, they may not, they obviously don't think they're the villain. They think others are the villain. And so we may fall into that trap too, like where we're just, we're not the villain either. And they're the villain. So how do yeah, we, no, nobody, nobody sees themselves as being wrong. Nobody yeah. sees themselves as being in the wrong. So how do we do that? How do we like evaluate our own belief systems, the implications of what we believe? Like we've talked now on here about, especially last week with the Chandler thing and just the culture of, of complementarianism, uh, male leadership kind of leads. It has a natural implication to what kind of has happened there. Um, so how do we con continually do that? Be ever vigilant to kind of evaluate and process through, um, I think is a good question to close us out um it might be helpful yeah uh i hope you have an answer to that i think you know my knee-jerk reaction to that as you were as you were talking was you know does it does it comport with what jesus spoke most about and does it comport with what jesus spoke least about you know if you're focusing on the things that jesus didn't focus on uh, to the exclusion of focusing on things that he did focus on, I, I think that's that's an indication of whether or not you're headed in the right direction or or the wrong direction. I, I think too, you know, the fruit of the spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, perseverance, patience. You know, what is being what is being engendered in you and I, uh, and and are those things happening? And and you know love uh are we being loving are we loving um people who i would say the world doesn't love but are we loving people who religious people don't love i, I mean when you look at scripture uh, I, I don't want to i don't want to sandbag the the pharisees and and the religious leaders and those things because you know there's a there's been a whole lot of that over the years but uh, one of i think jesus primary contentions with the pharisees was that uh they purported to be following god's law but they followed god's law in such a way where it did not require them to love all in the way in which god intended for all people to be loved as much as the pharisees were loved and uh so they had 
boxed out all of these categories of being deserving of the same treatment as their bros, <laughs> you know, on, on the council, uh, were received. And, and I think, you know, in a lot of ways we become accidental Pharisees and become the villain in that way. Whenever we utilize scripture or God to treat people who disagree with us or who are not like us or, or who sin uh, differently than I think Jesus treated them. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. The, the parallel to the Pharisees is important. I think that might be a good lens to, to read through the stories of the Pharisees. And it's like, is what I'm doing or what I'm teaching leading to Pharisaical attitudes? Um, I can remember... So I think introspection like like that, like a lens of scripture. I can remember when I first did church planning, um, you know, I was caught up in the evangelical, especially more of the celebrity culture of it all. I hadn't even dove into a lot of theology theology yet. And, you know, as a church planner, you wanted to be the next Rick Warren or, or whatever. And, you know, you want to have the big church that people, you know, yeah. respect. You know, that... But I, I can remember like um, things were going great in this church plant, you know, we were growing, we had a lot of people and a lot of volunteers. And so I was meeting with our volunteer group, you know, before one of our services and just saying, Hey, let's share the good things about what God's doing here at our church. And the theme throughout that conversation was how much cooler and awesome our church was in the other churches and how they're telling their friends, how much better our church was than their church and that sort of thing. And, and it, as I was reflecting on that, I was like, that's not in the scriptures anywhere. That's not what Jesus called us to do. And so that that kind of had me do a self-check on this whole celebrityism culture, this cooler church. And um, so I think that's important. I think too, so that's one side of it. And then I think I think having good habits um, in more of the contemplative life side of things like you know having time to pray and to really meditate on the things of, of god but also to have like like i have a spiritual director in my life and she's great because um she's she prays with me she's she's engaged with god with me um and she can call out kind of the bullshit <laughs> you know she can she can see as I'm talking and I'm sharing what's going on, like some of those negative implications and then helps me walk that back. Like, what are you believing about God in that moment? What are you believing about scripture and Jesus? And as I walk it back, I say, whoa, I don't want to believe that because I don't want to live that way. Um, and so that helps me kind of uh, bring those things to, to God. So having to me, having natural like liturgies in your life, rhythms in your life um, that you can engage and process. Um, those beliefs and implications. And as I look back over my life, when I was caught up in that culture of the Theobroism, the sufficiency of scripture stuff, I didn't have that. I didn't have any, any way to like um, evaluate, to, to think through. I just had to believe what I was told to believe. And that was it. Um, so I think those things are important. Yeah. I like that idea of a, um, of a diverse community of, of voices having, having influence in, in some way over your, over your thoughts or your actions. Um, 
I mean, I guess you see that in Jesus' example as well with his disciples. I mean, I know that in one sense they were his students, but um, you uh, know, they were also extremely diverse. <laughs> yeah, who they were uh, opposites uh, in a well, lot he, of ways. He called them to be community, as I think, so that they would dialogue, so that they would hold each other to to the truths. I mean, you look at the early church; it's like they did everything together. Um. And I think those things are important. Um, yeah. You know, look at looking at history. That's why tradition's important. I mean, you look at how you have to look at how the early church operated. I mean, I want to know, like, I wish we had more information about how the early church operated because they were closest to, to Jesus. They were closest to how he set things up and how the early disciples interacted and set things up. I mean, those... Those things are important, um, but we have a value for wanting to live our life in a way that that models and reflects Jesus. Or I think some of these folks um, don't care. In fact, there's a statement out there, right? Like, was it the Nashville statement where it's like, <laughs> which which one? Which one are we on now? Yeah, there have been so many statements. I don't know. There was a new one that came out. So. And declarations. Yeah, the Frankfurt. Yeah, and it's yeah. So refresh my memory about the Nashville. Well, basically, the gospel is not social justice, and it's not about living your life for people in the community. It's it's just for your spiritual salvation. Um, and then, obviously, they they broke down sufficiency of scripture in error. I was going to say, so, so, so scripture <laughs> wasn't sufficient. It needed to be clarified with a statement. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah. because because of this Jesus guy and his inability to clarify the importance of. <laughs> of the gospel to the exclusion of social justice and living out your faith. We need to clarify the Bible in order to make sure you have a sufficient understanding that the gospel <laughs> is not what Jesus modeled. That's but true. It's this instead. Then these guys need to stop writing books, stop being published. All you need is the Bible. But it, yeah, they don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture though. They they just they they don't in any way shape or form. It's a trick. It's a tool. It's a uh, it's it's snake oil that people buy and drink, and it's toxic. Yeah, leads to things like that anxiety tweet. Yeah, that anxiety An is anxiety sin. is a sin. What? So you're saying Jesus sinned. He was so anxious, he sweat blood. Anxiety um, is a sin. The medieval <laughs> medieval times have called, and they want their theology back. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's been good to be with you this week, man. Yeah, good stuff. How's fitness going for you? Uh, it's going it's going well. I continue on the deload. I think for for a few more weeks. Um, I've put on some weight. I wish I could say that it were muscle weight, but I think it's probably candy corn weight. <laughs> yeah, you're a big candy corn fan. I forgot. I can't stand that stuff. Yeah, well, we all have our vices, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I got beat up by this workout this morning. My cardio is slowly coming back, and uh, I probably – I have this weird thing in my head. Once I set a pace – mentally i have to keep it or i like feel like a failure and so 
uh, the workout was written in such a way that I think it was the point was to make everybody go to failure, but it, it hurt. And uh, it was a purely cardio uh, kind of workout. And, uh, you know, it involved the air assault bike and very painful. Um, well, I mean, as a, uh, as an Enneagram eight, you've never, you've never encountered a challenge that you weren't willing to kill yourself to win. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that is very true. So, but keep on keeping on deloading is good, especially at our age. Um, make deloading your friend. Um, yeah, that, it's so, it's so tough though. It's so tough. I, I think one of the, one of the things I'm learning as I get older, especially in fitness is that Sabbath rest is, is a valuable tool. It actually creates health. Um, there's a lot of data out there and I, I've noticed it more as I get older. Cause when you're younger, you, you recover a lot faster and you don't need as much rest, but the older you get, like I realize, I mean, it, there's a lot of data that says, you know, three days working out in a row and then one day off, um, and you do the math over seven days, that's six days of work and one day of rest. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, uh, it makes sense that God created us to rest. Um, and I found too, after I've deloaded, after I've rested Sabbath a little bit, sometimes I come back stronger, even though I haven't been lifting, um, heavy. Um, so I think that's an, I kind of, I see a lot of parallels through fitness and into our spiritual lives. And so I think, as humans, we need to rest. We need to Sabbath. We need to have those rhythms in our life, um, so that we can be better humans. Um, yeah. So what I, what I hear you saying is on the journey towards fitness and jacked strength, the iron itself is not sufficient. You yeah. need other things. You need rest. and Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. As if the people who wrote the Bible knew what they were talking about when it came to rest. <laughs> yeah, they did. All right, hey, man. Well, it's been good. Been, to talk good. To been good. Thanks for uh, watching. If you watch it this far, God bless you. And we'll see you next time. All right. Take care. All right.